Welcome, welcome to the most strange CLF service you've probably ever been to. Um, and I'll be perfectly honest, this is one of those that, uh, my, my favorite meme, I've been sharing this recently, there's been a lot of memes, some appropriate, some inappropriate, and one of my favorite recently has, has simply, it's not even on the funny side, it's just more of a, uh, more of a truth. Um, it, was a, it was shared by a pastor friend of mine, Jonathan Jenkins, and he, it was simply a letter from a pastor that said, Dear, dear congregation, uh, I've never pastored in a pandemic before. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, gonna, I'm going to do everything I can for my flock. I'm going to do everything I can for the church. I'm going to listen to science. I'm going to watch the news. I'm going to pay attention to what people need. But please be patient with me as we go. So I definitely appreciate whether you're part of our CLF family or whether you're not. Maybe you're sitting at home and you're tying in. You've never attended CLF, Christian Life Fellowship in Calera. Maybe you're a member of another church and you miss your home church. Whatever the case is, I think this is a great time for us to refocus on being the family of God across the board. I remember when 9-11 happened in 2001, everybody stopped being we, we kind of put our petty differences aside and kind of came together as Americans. And I think this is a great time for us to say, you know what, regardless of what individual church I may go to, if I can focus on the Bible being the word of God and Jesus being our one true savior and the only way to God, then we can really be the family of God together. So I, I'd like to bring a word to you this morning. Pastor Mark started a series several weeks ago called the Songbook of Jesus as we're going through all the Psalms. And, I'm, and it's really neat that he gave me Psalm chapter 8 because at the same time as, as we've been going through this, my mom gave, my, gave our entire family a Christmas present this last year. It's called A Psalm in Your Heart by George Wood, who is our Assemblies of God uh, national superintendent. He was the leader of, of our national denomination for, for years. And this goes through every single psalm and gives a little two to three page devotional. So I would definitely highly encourage that. So as my wife and I have been kind of going through this, it's been a tool in our toolbox that I'll talk about in a moment. But I do want to start by uh, giving kind of an overall description of what this series is going to be because we don't know how long this is going to last. And until this, um, until things go back to normal, we're going to keep going with this and we're going to keep the songbook of Jesus going. Uh, Pastor Mark started talking about that Jesus referenced so many psalms, and Jesus actually grew up reading psalms a, a, as part of his childhood, as part of his uh, inputs when he was a child and when he was growing up. And the strange thing when you think about it is so many of these psalms were about him. So not only was he singing them, was he reading them, was he inputting them, some of them were specifically about him and the sacrifice he was going to make and being the Lamb of God. So as we go through here, I want you to kind of think through that. And this psalm was referenced several times in the New Testament, both as an understanding of man's place in creation and how Jesus kind of places in the hierarchy while he was on this earth. So I'll talk more about the New Testament as we go. But I want to start off by kind of, I, I, guess, I guess no sermon is currently applicable unless we talk about some of the pink elephants in the room, right? There's nobody here, right? We're speaking to an empty room. I say empty with five, five of my closest friends in the world. So yes, we're under the 10-person limit, by the way. But we, I, I want to kind of throw this out during this chaotic time. Uh, we, Laura and I, my wife and I do a lot of mentoring and coaching with some, some of the uh, girls that are further along in our transitional home for women that we serve my sister's place here at Christian Life Fellowship. And one of the things we tell them all the time is every one of us have a toolbox with which to handle difficult situations, right? And that toolbox is the different tools that we have that when something hits us in the face, what do we have for the Holy Spirit to help us use to get through that situation? 
And there's many people in the world today that their toolbox, nothing specifically wrong with any of these things, but their toolbox are the inputs that they've put in over the years. So their inputs or their toolbox has sports radio. Their toolbox has media. Their toolbox has television. Nothing inherently wrong with those things. But one of the issues that we run into is when we face an issue like we're facing now, what tools do we have to get us through that time period? And let me, let me kind of come back to what we honestly believe here at CLF is that Scripture, the Word of God, is your number one tool to help you get through these times. So more than anything else, more than any other books you read, more than any media source, more than any sermon, you need to come back to Scripture so when you open that toolbox, how do I deal with the virus? How do I deal with my family in chaos? How do I handle with my kids at home all the time? Come back to Scripture. Now, is that going to give you exactly how do I deal with the child that's screaming at 2 in the afternoon? No, but it's going to give you the principles of how to base your life on. So as you're building your life for Christ, you're building it on the right foundation, right? So I wanted to start with that. Because just because psalm is in the Old Testament doesn't mean it's not applicable. Just because this psalm was written by David, and well, David did that. Don't you know what David did? Yes, I do know what David did. And David was a man who fell, but David was a man who lived by principles and was called a man after God's own heart. And I want you to see these principles as we go through here and see how David handled chaos of life very similar to how we should handle it today. And as we go through here, I'm going to read through Psalm chapter 8, which was a psalm of David. There, was a, there were a lot of psalms that were not written specifically by David. It might have been other musicians, and, and we're not going to go into that now, but this was a psalm of David. And I want you to specifically notice, and we'll go through here, I'm going to read Psalm 8 in completion, and it's only nine verses. It's very simple. And then we're going to talk through the psalm and, and what David could have been telling us, some of these principles that we can apply to our lives today. Because pr although scripture was written thousands of years ago, the principles it talks about are extremely applicable to our situation today. And I believe it's going to speak some peace into your life because it has into my life as we go. So here's Psalm chapter 8 as we go. O Lord, our Lord, how, how excellent is your name in all the earth. This is going to be out of the New King James. You may have your own version. Feel free to read along with me. Uh, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him, man, a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. And watch how he ends the same way he begins. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. As we go through here, I want to break this down one, one verse at a time. And, and, and maybe, maybe we'll group a few together. And we're going to kind of talk through this. Verse, verse 1, I want you to notice, he begins the psalm with recognition and awe, A-W-E, awe of God's majesty. Excuse me, and the King James actually says above the heavens. And I want you to think about above the heavens. Can you think of be above the heavens? Like, kind of think about this for a second. Aren't the heavens kind of the, the uh, apex, the capstone of our imagination? 
What he's literally saying is, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how excellent is your name in all the earth, even above the heavens. In other words, the majesty of God is beyond our imagination, is literally so far beyond our thought process that we can't even imagine. The greatest and highest thing you can possibly, David's trying to put this into perspective for us and say the greatest that you can possibly imagine, God's majesty is beyond that. So there's nothing wrong with trying to imagine how great is our God, how amazing is he. But just understand, you can never imagine it correctly. It's so vast, so far beyond us. It's amazing how many times in the Psalms that David or the other authors begin and end focusing on God's awesomeness. It's just, if you read through the Psalms, the way that they begin and end with how incredible God is. When the world around us is in chaos, the best way to not spin into chaos ourselves is, please hear me on this, the best way for you not to be spun into chaos is to intentionally control the things we dwell on and meditate on. And this is a great example. David gives us a great example of what should I be meditating on? Take this from David. First, focus and come back to the majesty and the incredibleness, the awesomeness of who your God is. And and some of you may say, I don't really know who my God is. I don't really know, I don't know much about him. Please let me challenge you this. Christian Life Fellowship, a lot of the churches around you, they have resources for you to dive into. But really the best way that you can dive into knowing who God is, is knowing who he is through scripture, through his word. So dive into some of these things. Uh, Verse 2. Verse 2, David talks about strength from weakness. The the New Living Translation says this, You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. George Wood in this book says this, Simply put, children and infants, and and actually before I read this, let me go back and read verse 2, just because I don't expect you to remember everything we just read. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. We don't usually think strength when we think of the toddler room, do we? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. I love what George Wood said about this. He said, simply put, children and infants don't know much. They have little knowledge of doctrinal content and understanding necessary for the artful formulation of praise. They don't have this, they can't stand up in front and just give this wonderful musician, there's none of that. He simply says this, the best thing they can say is, I love you. That's the best they've got. But listen, from God's point of view, this offering of praise from the toddler room and the nursery drowns out in the heavens the hostile voices of Christ's enemies on earth. While there's nothing, now please hear me, while there's nothing wrong with deepening our faith and understanding complex doctrines, I believe sometimes we get too smart for our own good. I believe we get too smart for our own good. I've heard, because I'm not a dad myself, but I've heard from a lot of parents that the greatest times in raising your kids is when they climb up in your lap, snuggle into your arms, and fall asleep at peace. Perhaps if I can throw this out, in our complex, confusing American culture, we should spend a little less time in deep doctrinal study and more time in the arms of Christ. More time in the arms of Christ. You have probably more time to, we're going to talk about this later, 
but you and I probably have a little more time with our family. We probably have a little more time by ourselves than we have on a normal basis in this isolation. Let me encourage you, while there's nothing wrong with digging into doctrine, you need to know your doctrine. You need to have a fundamental belief of what you believe about God. A.W. Tozer said, what a, man, what a person believes about God is the most important thing about them. So while that's important, it's also important that if you're scared, if you're worried right now, maybe the best thing you can do is get into the arms of God, find out who he is, and just kind of snuggle up close to him and say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. He, God is referred to through scripture. It's not even in my notes as Abba, Father. Maybe this time he needs to become close to you and you need to become close to him. So it's the best thing you can do. Verse 3. I love verse 3, man. It's time for reflection. It says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you've ordained. I want you to think about this. Why does he not say the sun? He says the moon and the stars. I, I read in a commentary, most likely people think David was out for a nighttime stroll. So when he looks, he doesn't see the sun at that moment. He probably sees, what does he see? the moon and the stars. And you know what that makes me think of? David was seriously just walking, writing, spending some time in reflection, just sitting and thinking about, about who God is, thinking about the works of his hands. In comparison, this is actually where I was getting ahead of myself, but I just want to throw this out. In comparison to everything else you do currently, how much time do you spend in reflection? In reflection, in meditation, we have several options of how to spend our time during this isolation and social distancing. We, Laura has, I don't have a kitchen table anymore because we recently bought a 3,000-piece puzzle, 3,000, and it's taking up our entire table. So, so that, putting together a puzzle is one of those things we can do. Board games, we can get with people on Zoom or on some of these apps, Facebook Live, we can listen to church services. We can use our time for entertainment, on hobbies, on reading good books, on digital communities, on social media, on keeping up with the latest news. I would highly encourage you to do what David did and add some time for reflection and meditation into your schedule. Maybe you're a coffee drinker and you need to get a cup of coffee and go out on your porch, make sure you're six feet away from people, right? But go out on your porch, have a cup of coffee and just reflect. Maybe bring your Bible, maybe bring a daily devotional with you, or maybe just let there be some silence, some peace... As Americans, we're so scared of silence, but I have a feeling that there's so many voices speaking to us all the time that the whole, while the Holy Spirit's speaking, we can't hear him because we're so busy, 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 all the voices that are buzzing around our head. So let me encourage you to kind of quiet the mechanism during all this and spend some time reflecting as David did. Verse 4, all that I can think of is the word humility. I want to read this to you. What is man that you're mindful of him? This is what comes out of his reflection, right? So I, again, I think a lot of times the reason that we're, we don't have that humility today is we don't spend enough time in reflection of who God is and we tend to get a really high picture of ourselves. What is man who, that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Basically, he's saying this, based on the majesty of everything else you created that I was just in reflection over, who am I? Look at the moon, look at the stars, look at the majesty of who God is. Why would you even be mindful of me? Why should I even matter? In reflection, when we compare the majesty of God to, to the limits of creation, there's only one logical response, and that's humility. 
Humility is the only logical response when an ant compares itself to an airplane. The ant doesn't puff out its chest and say, oops, sorry, that was probably the microphone. The, the, the ant doesn't beat its chest and say, look at me, I'm great, when it's comparing itself to the majesty of something so great. That's literally what David's doing here. He's saying, God, all of this that you've created, what am I? I'm, I'm just some dust that you breathed life into. Thank you for that, but why would you be mindful of me? Humility sometimes is the best response. In verses 5 through 8, I'll go and read again, and I'm, I'm going to kind of finish talking about them, so I'm going to skip over them pretty quick because I'd like to finish talking about this. But it says, For you have made him, man, a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the depths of the seas. We don't deserve a thing that God's given us. Through this reflection, we've got to understand, it, it's really funny that, okay, let me just share with you from my living room, my own reflection this week. The things that I am, um, that I'm mourning, that I've lost, are all blessings that I don't even deserve in the first place. I'm mourning, I'm frustrated over the fact that I can't do this or I can't do that. I find myself whining at God realizing in reflection, mind you, spending time in reflection, if I spend enough time whining, I don't have enough time for reflection. That's just a side note. But I find myself complaining about the very things that God's given me that I don't even deserve in the first place. So kind of think through your thought process during this time. Spend some time in reflection and realize, based on who God is, based on what he's given me, yes, there's no problem with me mourning certain things. I don't want to invalidate anybody who's watching I don't want to invalidate your feelings. The feelings you're feeling are perfectly valid. But are you going to stir in them and sit in them for long enough that they're going to hurt you moving forward? They're going to hurt other people in your life. Just a question I'd like to ask. So I'd like to challenge you through some of this. David literally gives us his best list that says everything, right? He goes through here. He says, um, you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, things that he's trying to say, God, you've put us in dominion over everything and I can't even figure out why. Why have you given me, me, man, all this? And what does David do in verse nine? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's, so, so I want you to see the pattern. We're gonna end talking a little about, about, about the pattern that walks through here. Notice the pattern though. It's recognition of God's majesty, humility based on the reflection and realizing who we are compared to God, and then coming back to his majesty. Do you think that maybe we would have a little less anxiety with everything going on around us if we could get a true picture of the awesomeness of God? This didn't shock our God, right? This, 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 because there's sin in the world, there's going to be death and pestilence and all these things. I heard someone ask this week, they said, well, if God was so good, why didn't he just create a world with no sickness? And my response was, he already has. It's called heaven. Well, first of all, he created this place with no sin, no death, no pain, no viruses. And guess who messed it up? It wasn't him. It was us. James chapter one says we're drawn away and enticed by our own evil desires. It's and I'm not saying I caused the coronavirus, but I'm sitting here thinking, 
The reason that this is in the world is because of sin. It's not because of God. And what's God doing to fix it? Guess what? He's created a new heaven and a new earth where there's no sickness, no pain, and he's given us a path to get there. He said, Jesus is your path to get there. If this is a terrible world for you, like it is for all of us, we can have hope in knowing that one day God's created a place for you where none of this is there. None of this exists. So he comes back in verse 9. So I do want to talk about, just for a moment, there are a few places in the New Testament excuse me, where this psalm is quoted. Matthew chapter 21, verse 16, Jesus used this verse, and, and I'm not going to read each one of these because he just comes back and quotes Psalm chapter 8. I just want to give this to you so you can go study. Matthew 21, 16, Jesus used this verse about the children and about the children's praise when the scribes saw that children were praising him. Children were coming up, oh, Hosanna in the highest. They were praising Jesus for all the miracles he was doing and everything else. And, and Jesus comes, and, and the scribes and Pharisees were whining about it, saying, Why, when are you going to stop the kids? And Jesus comes back to this psalm and said, by the way, guys, you've heard this your whole life. I'm going to remind you of this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, the author of Hebrews uses this passage of verses 4 through 7 to speak about Jesus specifically being given a position a little lower than the angels, but above all things, speaking towards Jesus in the hierarchy of where things are sitting, right? So God created creation. He put man above all of it. And then what he did with Jesus is Jesus was the capstone. He put all glory and honor on Jesus above everything else. So Jesus fell into the hierarchy. But I want you to think about that for a moment. The God of the universe that created all this came to the creation to reconcile the relationship. He didn't have to do that. He did it for you. So if you don't know Jesus as reconciler, as fixer of relationships, let me challenge you to contact somebody. Contact a pastor. Contact someone whose spiritual fruit in their life you can see. They can introduce you to Jesus as not only the judge who's going to judge sin one day, but at the same time, he is a God of grace who says you don't have to live in that. You don't have to live in chaos. I can come and show you the way to peace. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27. Paul also uses this psalm, Psalm 8, to state that God has placed all things under the authority of Jesus, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Paul again uses Psalm 8 to state that God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And the fact that he did that is a benefit for the church. That's a really cool thing when you stop and think about it. Not only was Jesus placed in the correct hierarchy in God's, in God's plan, but that was a benefit for all the church. And if you don't see how, let me challenge you to tie into Christian Life Fellowship online for now, face-to-face -face when we're able to. That's what we talk about, man. Our focus at CLF is the Word of God, and Jesus is the answer for the problems that you're facing in your life, for the chaos that you're facing so you can have peace, for, for the confusion and misunderstanding you're facing he can give clarity that's the things we focus on I'm going to kind of finish up by a couple things from George Wood's book because it really put things into focus for me and I love the way he did this he said notice the connection between verses one and two and three through eight now I'm going to read this a couple times because I want you to catch this a proper and right understanding of the true nature of God's majesty inevitably leads to a right and proper understanding of the dignity of man. I'm going to read that again. A proper and right understanding of the true nature of God's majesty. Notice where it starts. 
inevitably leads to a right and proper understanding of the dignity of man. We're below God, but above everything else. That's God's design, but what's your experience? This morning, I know a lot of you may feel underneath everything, with control over nothing. You're stripped of self-worth. You feel lower than a worm, wish you could die, or maybe like Isaiah, you see the majesty of God, and you see more, more clearly than ever your own sinfulness and unworthiness. Let me challenge you to do what David did. Regardless where you're at, you probably feel chaos. You probably feel out of control. Let me challenge you to do what this psalm says. Do what David did. Focus on the Lord first. We all are tempted right now to be so obsessed with our own circumstances. I'm, I'm not downplaying anybody's circumstances. These are ridiculous times, right? So I'm, while I'm not downplaying your experiences, I don't have to downplay your experiences to raise the value of Christ, right? So while I'm not downplaying anything you're walking through, I'm simply saying there, there's a term in Scripture called exalting Christ, bringing him above our circumstances. That's what I'm going to challenge you to do right now. Focus on the majesty of God, on who he is. Chris, I don't know who he is. Feel free to dig into some Scripture. If you don't know who, contact Pastor Mark, contact myself, contact someone who you trust. To rediscover a sense of who you really are, God wants you first to rediscover him. God wants you first to rediscover him. Well, Chris, I need to know who I am in my future. Yes, you do, but guess what? You don't start there. You start with understanding the majesty of God, and he will lead you to the future he wants for you. The power of this psalm is the pattern it presents. Focus correctly, God first. Number two, have a correct understanding of your stance in relation to God and in relation to creation. You're not under anything, right? You've been given authority over all of this stuff, but you need to understand who you are with Christ first. And then finally, come back to a focus on God. Sandwich all the experiences in your life with a focus on God. And what's going to happen is you're going to go from a victim of who's being hurt and everything else to a victor who makes it through this with strength and not just humility, understanding who you are, but you're going to know who you are in Christ. You were holy, you were chosen, you were dearly loved, and who he is in you can conquer anything. So let's kind of finish this up in prayer, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Mark so he can close us up. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your word. You give us scripture not only to help us know how to walk and how to make it through troubled times, you give us scripture to help us understand who you are the majesty, the greatness of God. And I'm asking you to reveal that to us this morning. Help us refocus. It's not something, we don't want to constantly dwell on the negative, dwell on the pain, dwell on the hurt. We want to be able to focus on who you are. So help our mindset, help our focus. Give us a semblance of peace, but that peace doesn't come by dwelling on and meditating on our circumstances. That peace comes by dwelling and meditating on you, who you are, your power, your majesty. So remind us of that this morning. Remind us where to focus, where to run to. You are our safe refuge in the time of storm. This is a massive storm, and we don't even know how to handle it. But let us remember, first of all, to come running back to you, because that's where our true peace lies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.